0: war has played a key role in the history of the united states from the nation's founding right down to the present wars made the united states independent kept it together increased its size and established it as a global superpower hi i'm james early host of the key battles of american history podcast in each episode i discuss american history through the lens of the most important battles of america's wars to start listening now Go to ParthenonPodcast.com or search Key Battles of American History on your favorite podcasting platform. Welcome to the History Unplugged podcast, the unscripted show that celebrates unsung heroes, myth busts historical lies, and rediscovers the forgotten stories that changed our world. I'm your host, Scott Rank. Hey everyone, welcome to an in-between episode where I answer any question that you have about history. Today's question is, what is the strongest fortress in history? Fortresses. If you lived in the ancient or medieval world, you needed that to prevent your city from getting sacked, whether from an invading army, step nomads, barbarians, other people like that. Let's face it, Funding a standing army is expensive. And after the Roman Empire collapsed, nobody was wealthy enough to hold up a standing army outside of wartime. It means that you have to have pretty good defenses for your most important centers of government and commerce and your state or empire, or you're just going to get swept over. You can't accumulate a whole bunch of wealth and not defend it. Well, there are a lot of different fortresses out there. One of the first thoughts I had was Alamut Castle. Alamut is Persian for eagle's nest. And this was a mountain fortress in the Alamut region of the South Caspian province, about 100 kilometers from present-day Tehran. This area was a stronghold between 1090 and 1256 under the Shia Nizari Ismailis, sect of uh, Shia Islam. And this area was the center of their state. And the fortresses, because they were in their mountain holds, were extraordinarily difficult to conquer until the Mongols came along. But I didn't choose this fortress because... Well, yeah, due to geography, it was well defended and it's hard to wage an uphill battle and you need a huge army like the Mongols had. But the thing is, it didn't come under attack or siege as much as other areas, because let's face it, mountainous Iran isn't the best real estate on Earth. So instead, I chose an area that was on excellent real estate, probably the best real estate on planet Earth, and that is Constantinople, specifically the Theodosian city walls that guarded Constantinople. I choose this as the best fort in history. I lived in Istanbul, and I had the chance to explore a lot of these walls, which are still standing. It was one of the most fun that I had. When I showed these people these things, they liked it better than all the touristy stuff, like the Hagia Sophia and the Blue Mosque. So if you ever find yourself in Istanbul, go see the city walls. It's a little bit off the beaten path, but definitely worth your effort. Why were the city walls so great? Well, first of all, let's start off with the geographic advantages that Constantinople has. Constantinople was located on an elevated rocky peninsula and surrounded by the sea on three sides. The north was the estuary known as the Golden Horn, the south was the Sea of Marmara, and the east were the straits of the Bosphorus which connect the Mediterranean to the Black Sea. First of all, attacking Constantinople by sea was hard. The Bosphorus had strong currents and wouldn't give hostile fleets shelter. The Golden Horn was a wonderful harbor for Byzantines in war and peace, and it sheltered friendly ships. What the Byzantines would do to keep enemy ships from entering the harbor was to extend a long chain across it so that they wouldn't be able to do that. The only landward route to the city was on its western side, and that's where the powerful Theodosian city walls come in. Now, The walls actually cover the entire peninsula on all sides of the city, but the thickest were on the land walls. And Constantinople, because it was so wealthy and one of the biggest cities in the ancient world, was held under siege about 17 times, but it managed to stand for about a thousand years. It only fell in 1204 during the Fourth Crusade, when the city was divided due to political conflict, and finally fell to the Turks in 1453. Okay, let's talk about the city walls. Constantine made the city his capital, the Eastern Roman Empire, in 324. The city walls were built in 408 built under the direction of his administrator, Anthemus, and finally completed in 413. In 447, a powerful earthquake destroyed a large part of the wall. Theodosius II was terrified, and he ordered his construction crews to work very fast to repair it because the city was threatened by Attila the Hun. The workers managed to restore it in only 60 days. At the same time, a second outer wall was added, and a wide ditch opened in front of the walls. And we know this because there's a plaque in Latin on the outside of the walls that commemorate how quickly it was rebuilt. And according to chroniclers, Attila came, he and his army came, they took one look at the city walls and turned around and didn't even bother trying to attack the city. So let me get into more detail about how these walls are designed. The walls use mortared rubble, fitted limestone, and layers of red brick. The towers around the walls and the walls themselves were built independently of one another. The entire city is surrounded by more than 400 towers, covering over 20 kilometers. The walls have two parts, an inner wall and an outer wall. The inner wall is a solid structure, 5 meters thick and 12 meters high. It was strengthened with 96 towers that are 18 to 20 meters tall every 55 meters. Access to the wall is provided by large ramps along their side. The outer wall was built 15 to 20 meters from the main wall, creating a space between the two walls. The outer wall was two meters thick at its base and featured arched chambers with a walkway on top, reaching a height of eight and a half meters. The outer wall also had 96 towers that were situated in the middle distance between the inner wall's towers. The moat was situated 15 meters from the outer wall, creating a terrace where a paved road ran along the wall's length. The moat itself, which could be flooded, was about 20 meters wide and 10 meters deep. All that to say, good luck trying to attack the city with a conventional army. Your typical siege weapons, your siege towers and ladders to try to scale the walls, you can't get across the moat to do that. Let's say you can clear the moat. Okay, you're doing that as tens of thousands of archers are raining down hellfire, boiled pitch, Greek fire. You get to the outer wall. Okay, if you can scale that, now you have to get to the inner wall. There were also many storerooms where weapons could be held, supplies could be held, and this made it hell on earth for armies that tried to invade. In 717, the Umayyad dynasty came with 200,000 soldiers to hold Constantinople under siege. Only 30,000 were able to return to Syria the following year. Granted, their fleets were destroyed in different circumstances, but a lot of that had to do with the city walls. Historians think it's because of the walls that different Muslim states' entrance into southeastern Europe was delayed by about six or 700 years until the Ottomans started to move in. So if these walls were adequately manned, they were essentially impregnable. And there were other weapons that the Byzantine had to help them out. A key factor in the defense of Constantinople was their secret weapon of Greek fire. Greek fire was a liquid flame projected through siphons that were capable of burning even on water. Not only were its effects devastating, it dampened the morale of enemies who had never seen this weapon before. You try to put it out and it keeps going. Many key naval engagements and sieges may have been lost without Greek fire. However, we don't know the exact composition of it today. Constantinople had other means of withstanding sieges. Water is, of course, essential to the survival of the city in times of war and peace, and if you have a mountain fort like Alamut, that makes things tricky if you have to basically store a lot of water. But the Byzantines addressed this issue through two ways. First, there were aqueducts from Thrace that supplied water to the city, and these aqueducts went underground to continue to provide water. Second, there were vast cisterns collected, that collected rainwater and stored it for public use, The Basilica cisterns are famously located close to the Hagia Sophia, and if you watch the James Bond movie from Russia with Love, there's a boat chase that happens in these cisterns. There was also the issue of food supplies. Most of Constantinople's residents had their own gardens to grow vegetables. Due to its strategic location, food and other necessities could reach Constantinople by land and sea. Ships would be able to come into the harbor and be led into the Golden Horn to give supplies to people. On top of all that, Constantinople had an underground drainage system that could carry wastewater out of the city so that you didn't have waste piling up and leading to disease and plague during a long siege. Okay, well, how was Constantinople finally conquered? It basically took the invention of gunpowder and cannon to be able to knock the city walls down and make them obsolete. In 1451, 19-year-old Mehmet II of the Ottoman Empire ascended the throne with a desire to conquer Constantinople, which had been a desire amongst different Muslim leaders since basically the beginning of Islam. And there are uh, apocryphal sayings ascribed to Muhammad who says, Verily you shall conquer Constantinople. What a wonderful leader will he be, and what a wonderful army will that army be. Probably isn't a true hadith, but this idea had been around a long time. What Mehmet did was cast an enormously large caliber cannon to breach the city walls. The cannon required 60 oxen with 200 soldiers to haul it across land, from Thrace, where it was made at the foundry in Edirne, to Constantinople. The cannon was 10 meters long, 1 meter in bore, and could fire a 600-kilogram ball 1.5 kilometers. Now, the cannon had problems, but there were hundreds of other cannons that could pound the city walls in order to reduce it to rubble. Even though the Ottomans had cannons to knock down the defenses, and even though there were only about 20,000 or so defenders in the city and about 200,000 Ottoman troops, it still took weeks to be able to blast through the walls, and there were questions if the siege would even be successful. The Turks were finally able to breach sections of the outer walls and then get into the inner walls and then sack the city and ultimately conquer it, where it is still held in the Republic of Turkey today. But still, for lasting 1,100 years, repelling 17 sieges, and making Constantinople one of the nicest cities in the world because it wasn't under the threat of conquest, is what in my book, Making the Theodosian City Walls the Strongest Fortress in History. Well, thank you for listening. If any of you would like to submit a question to me, you can do so by going to historyunplugpodcast.com. There you can submit it, and I'll be glad to answer anything you could throw at me. Thanks for listening to the History Unplugged podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show to get your daily dose of all things history related from ancient Greece to the Cold War. You can do that by going to historyonthenet.com forward slash subscribe. Speaking of History on the Net, if you want to dive deeper, go to our site historyonthenet.com and there you'll find blog posts, book reviews, and all of our other podcast episodes. Plus, don't forget to rate and review this podcast so we can bring you the best daily history content possible. We'll see you next time at the History Unplugged podcast. The history of the Popes of Rome and Christianity reaches into nearly every aspect of history, In the History of the Papacy podcast, we step over the rope. We dive in to discover more about the people, events, and background that define the influence of the Popes of Rome and Church, not only on the West, but the world. To start listening now, go to ParthenonPodcast.com or search for History of the Papacy on your favorite podcast platform.